Hey there, before you start tonight's episode, we wanted to talk to you about a brand new project that we're starting that we're really excited about. It's called Whose Dice Are These Anyway? It's a podcast where the stories are made up and the rules barely matter. Join us every week as our bumbling crew of adventurers solves some mysteries, fights some monsters, and does terrible celebrity impressions. Starting Thursday, January 26th, and every Thursday thereafter. You can find Who's Dice Are These Anyway on every major podcasting distribution platform. You can also find us on Twitter at Who's Dice. We hope you'll tune in for action, suspense, and uncontrollable laughter. See you then. Hello, and welcome to the Guild that Keeps On Giving, a podcast about a group of friends and their thoughts, ideas, and experiences relating to D&D. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Patrick, and let's go talk to my friends. Welcome to the Guild that Keeps On Giving, the show that regales with tales of glorious triumphs and epic failures among friends. And this week, we're wrapping up our three-part series on The Curse of Strahd. So let's introduce our guest. First up, Matthew Mullen. Hey, Matt. Hey. And Dr. Chris Rowan. Hey, Chris. Hello. And Dr. Rick McCain. Hey, Rick, how's it going? It's going great. All right. So who'd like to get us started? Rick would. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one, two, three, not it. <laughs> Nose goes. This guy, yeah. this guy. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, uh, I'll start us off then. Let's talk about Castle Ravenloft. This huge, and I think we talked about this last week, it's just a classic, well, it's a classic in a lot of things, but definitely in D&D, it's, it brings together a lot of the classic elements of, if you're into the horror genre, your favorite movies, TV shows, books, it sort of brings all that to life in this role-playing game setting. And I, for one, as a player, I've never DM'd this, but as a player, I thought this was an extremely cool environment. And the DM that uh, did it for us really got into the descriptive side of things. And we actually had uh, a map, a battle map. Uh, and uh, that didn't stop him from going into uh, Theater of the Mind anyway. And I thought it was really excellent because of all the all the descriptive parts leading up to that. Sort of had you in that feeling of this is eerie or spooky and uh, it really set this as like a horror genre. And Castle Ravenloft was just like the cherry on the top of the Sunday, where it just made it all very spooky and cool to, to be in. And I think it's an excellent place to uh, fight the evil vampire, you know, Strahd. Any thoughts? I, I agree with you. I think it's it's awesome. Um, if There is a, a great book, and I mentioned it before, but it's where Soth... Um, who is uh, Dragonlance character, the Death Knight. That's where Death Knight sort of came from. Meets Strud, And you get a lot of description because you see the castle through his eyes. And I think if anybody wants to like run this and get a real feel for what the castle is like through the eyes of a powerful person, somebody who's not like going through terrified, you you could read some of that. And, and there's some really good description and, and such in there. And even like some of the things he comes across, but I think that part of it, you know, like the the man, his mansion or castle, I guess is a better word for it, is really like a, a character in this story itself. It's got so much description, and um, there's there is so many things you can do with that. It really like sets a tone, and I think if you write up first some blurbs about areas um you can really sort of get a, a good mood going and i think that's really like at the end of the day this adventure is as much sort of the the narrative and the description and the atmosphere as it is like the creatures that are in it and the battles you're going to have and all that so uh, i think it's that's the coolest part of this it's i remember when we played this and again i i did it in before it was adapted for fifth edition, I remember really feeling right. like we were sort of there, you know, like it, I think we put music on in the background and, and, um, it was kind of spooky and it just, <clears throat> I think we were playing at night as well. And again, I mentioned this before, if you play this, I think it works best if you're sort of isolated a bit. So, you, you know, not in like a gaming store or something like that. And, you know, set the mood. Maybe candles, <clears throat> dim the lights a bit, 
It's super cool, and I think this is one of my favorite parts I of the adventure when you get in, into the castle. Yeah, there's a lot in there. Uh, it's a huge castle, lots of uh, maps, lots of rooms. It's uh, There's an enormous crypt full of all sorts of wonderful, terrible things. And, um, and the random encounters are well-balanced and well-written to thematically. Um, one of my favorites is the fact that you can encounter a Blinsky toy. And there's no fun, is no Blinsky. <laughs> we're we're, we're so, back to that, eh? Yeah, nice. I even have the shirt it's on no today. no fun, is no Blinsky. Yes. That, oh front, that like shirt it. is not a little Blinsky. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Very Blinsky. So... Um, Going through the castle, of course, you need to read it maybe twice before you before you run your your party through it. Uh, there is so much going on, and of course, Strahd is going to be there at the end. Uh, he's fated to be there in the cards, and uh, the DM will know exactly where he will be. But he also can roam around and and encounter the party. Uh, there's lair actions. Uh, so back in Appendix D, you can uh, look up his abilities and the lair actions when he's in the castle. And there's there's a lot of things for him to do. When I ran it, there's also, um, I'm sorry, the, the heart of the castle needs to be mentioned mm. because that protects him from, from taking damage personally. So it, it absorbs damage, and he's connected to it. When I ran my first party through it, they were running around, and they very quickly went into the heart room and immediately attacked the heart and destroyed it. And Strahd sent defenses against them, but they had taken all those dark gifts and had extra superpowers and everything. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and that weakened Strahd quite a bit. And then he immediately appeared there to protect the heart. And the battle was unfortunately very quickly over. In retrospect, I could have prevented that from happening and made it a more epic battle and a running, running battle where, you know, because Strahd can get away very easily if he's in any kind of danger. And um, like I said, they had a lot of resources by the time they went in. So it was a mistake I made to, to not defend that heart as much as uh, Strahd would have. Um, and so it made the battle go disappointing. Yeah, okay. I was about to ask, was it disappointing for, for your party now, my party well? loved it. They were just, you know. <laughs> I would too. Yeah, I was going to say, I feel like I'd be no, excited. They... they they were very excited, but yeah. after all this time and all this buildup. The curse of who? You know, so, it, and that was, uh, <laughs> yeah, it was the curse of some some guy they beat up in his house. Um, you know, I, I could have dragged it out a little bit further sure. and made it more, more epic. And so what I didn't do as much as I should have as a DM was to have... Strahd really be aware of where they were throughout the castle and harassing them. And uh, I didn't quite get a handle on just how much he knew and how much he had control over when I first ran it. Um, and so my recommendation is to remember that he knows exactly where the party is at all times and what they're doing. He's toying with them. He's very arrogant. And he truly believes that these are just another group of heroes that are going to fail and that he can play with them. And so there are a lot of ways for him using the lair actions to, to really mess with the party the entire time. And I'm going to leave that up to the, you all to comment on. I don't want to get into the specifics. It's written out pretty clearly in his descriptions. So, yeah, I think that actually I was reading back through this again this week and I think they did a really good job writing this. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, there's so much detail, uh, but but also it's not overwhelming. It's very clear. Yeah, it's very clearly it's concise. written. The whole thing is like this is this, this is this, this is how you do this. I mean, some of them are they're just so vague. You know, when I read these published adventures, and mm -hmm. this one is not in at all. I, I think. Yeah, I haven't actually when we played through. Curse of Strahd, uh, we didn't get this far, or 
our group had scheduling conflicts and we never got to the castle. So Spoiler alert, Matt. This. Sorry. No, 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 no. I obviously read it for this podcast. So, uh, you know, I, I, I know what happens, but I, I found it reading through going, oh, wow. Like, like you said, like there's so much detail and also a really good amount of specific, this creature does this. Right. If this happens, they do this. And it just made it really clear to me, if I were trying to run it as a DM, how I would play that. And I think that's an important thing to do, especially in this context where, like Chris said, the castle is almost a character unto itself. This whole chapter, scenario, whatever you want to call it, is has to be themed in order to make it feel the way that they want it to feel. All that direction, I I think, really helps a DM not have to think about all of these moving pieces and can focus right. on delivering the experience the way it's supposed or intended to be delivered. Yeah, definitely. I yeah. I wanted to talk about something Chris was mentioning earlier. You were talking about how you could sort of make these blurbs. You know, when, let's say you're reading through the adventure before you actually present it to the party that you're running for. Yeah, and you're making these yeah. blurbs. Is that something you guys do uh, regularly? Do you make sort of blurbs you want to tell your parties? Uh, and if so, do you like, do you write it up like on pen, you know, pen and paper? Or do you like sort of practice it like a speech or just? I used to a lot. I used to write all the stuff down and keep copious notes. And then I realized that I would very rarely use them in session because it would take so time, so much time to find them and, and, and look it up. Um, mm-hmm. And maybe I just wasn't organized as, as much as I should have been. And th- what I really do now is I just get a feel for the description in the rooms or the area or the people. And then I kind of wing it. And so maybe a little bit of rehearsal in my mind. Like sort of the, the highlights or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Going over and making sure, okay, this they're going to encounter this. This will add to the story. This will do that. You know, this is how I'll describe that. But uh, most of it's on the fly yeah. for me. Well, I mean, and you've been doing this for quite some time, so it's not like it's. Uh, it probably doesn't put you in panic mode if you have to describe something <laughs> on the fly. You know, uh, right. but for like well, a newer DM, yeah, you you really can't make any mistakes unless you describe something that is just not what you want to describe. In other words, you can say, oh, there is a vampire or the creeping figure of a well-dressed man oozes out of the shadows. You know, that's two ways of saying it. Um, And the second way is, is, is a bit more fun, but the players know it's a vampire and they're picturing the way they're picturing it anyway. And so you you don't have to get so, you know, if it's not one of your talents, you don't have to be all theatrical and, and dramatic and poetic about these things. Um, it's still very much fun. Sure. Um, so I, I'm just advising not to put so much pressure on yourself to be like yeah. some of these, you know, webcasters who have these shows and they're professionals and that's what they do for a living yeah. and they do all the voices and they do all the... You know, yeah, a lot of people seem to um, forget that that the those guys are professionals. Yeah, with a professional setup, they're getting paid to do this. Yep, and some of them have writers. Yeah, and they <clears> do <throat> this, you know, uh, eight hours a day. I mean, this is not yeah. something that, let's say, you're, you know, twenty two years old and you've never DM before. It's not, you know, it's not keeping up with the Joneses. <laughs> right, yeah. it, right, right. It can you can just keep it very simple, and it's still so much fun. Right. I um, think sometimes, and and I know um, Chris has said, and I'm sorry I cut you off. No, no. Sometimes um, you got to know your players, like we always say. Some yeah. people get bored with all that yeah. description. <laughs> they want to go right to yeah, that's um, the battle. They're like, ooh, a vampire. Okay, I know what vampires do and how they, you know, I've got this plan. And they want to get to it. And you're sitting there going, you know, describing the look on his face. And they're like, yeah, 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 he's evil. You're right. Shut him. up, dude. Roll for initiative. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's what I was going to say is, um, so I remember, I think the first time I saw pre-boxed text in a module, um, and that's what we called them when I was a kid, uh, adventures yeah. or modules. And um, I remember thinking, oh, wow, this is really cool. Oh, my goodness. How much easier is this going to make things for me? And reading from it felt 
um, square to me. It, it just, it, even though it was well-written or whatever. So what I ended up doing for myself with those is I would read it over and then I'd paraphrase it because I wanted it to be natural and organic yeah, coming from that me. that makes a lot of sense. And it, I still do that. So there are some scenes where I will write something out and I read maybe a little bit of it. But what it is, is a safety net for me. So me personally, I can um, I can lock up, like if I get stressed or confused or distracted, I have huge cognitive issues with certain things. And like, I can get stuck. Like I could forget one of your names, by the way. And, and in the moment, I can't think i can't remember it like i could be like what I, oh my god oh my god oh my god that happens like, to me I too have, man yeah it's what you know i got i've got some you know uh head trauma and stuff that I, I get these weird like memory lapses and stuff so i started doing that a while ago and it just gave me a sense of calm hey if i forget what the heck i'm talking about it's right here in this card um mm -hmm. but mostly it's bullet points it's um it, it's just something to remind me um but much like you know rick i know i really prefer being in the moment i really prefer and in fact a lot of times i like improvising i like having an idea of what i'm gonna say but then just sort of feeling where the flow goes. And like Rick was mentioning, if like you get a group that's like, I just want to kill this thing. <laughs> I'm not going to go nuts with the description. I mean, that's then who am I talking to? Pretty much myself. Right. So, but yeah, I, I do use that. I use it a bit. And even just writing it out also helps me remember what the heck I want to say or how I want to say it. Every once in a while, I, I more write out dialogue because that's where I can get tripped up. Um, and I notice again, playing with younger people, I'll get questions in the middle of my dialogue. Like pe pe some people just don't know when to just be quiet and listen. And you get, you know, you get into the character and I start going, then it's like, Hey, um, what's over here? And I'm like, <sighs> squirrel, yeah, you know, wow. and, and I, you can hear it in players too. Players will be like, dude, be quiet. <laughs> you know, like, so yeah, again, what does it all come down to? Know your audience. Yeah. What about you, Matt, with our current campaign? Is that something you do because you created this or So I most if I write stuff down, it's usually something about the it might be a description of a room, but it's usually something along the lines of this room's filled with water to up to your knee and I need to make sure they know that when they walk into the room. I that can't be an afterthought that I go, oh, yeah, I forgot to describe this, but blah, 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 because you need to know before you've waited out or whatever. So that's usually what I write. And I usually write those notes because we play on rule 20. I just write them on the GM layer right on the map so that when you guys get close to it, it's just there big, bold letters like tell them there's water or describe this room as full of treasure and a skeleton on a throne like just especially because the map you're on is pretty big, it's easy to get distracted like or lost kind of on like what rooms or what. So I do have some notes that I keep like that. But most of the descriptions uh, I do kind of like Chris was saying kind of off the cuff just because I feel like it's when I try to read stuff, it's the rest of the game sounds like I'm just talking to you and then all of a sudden I'm reading and it just feels disconnected to me, at least. But as far as dialogue goes, I'm, well, <laughs> that's where I like to improvise. Uh, that's where I have the most fun. When you guys talk to the big bad uh, lady in this current part that you're in in our campaign, that's all. I might have the initial, like, how this conversation starts or what triggers it. But, at, like, from that point on, like, I'm playing right there with you. Like, I'm just playing her and you're playing you and... I'm having that's so much fun to me is the I don't know where this is going uh, kind of of it all. Nice. And, I'd have. Oh. oh, sorry. I just wanted to say one more thing, which was and that also helps me. Uh, I feel like not force outcomes on people because I try to like a good example is when you guys were negotiating with Katarina a few weeks ago. My original notes say like there's nothing you can say to get her to change her mind on on this war. But then you guys said something, and in that moment, I felt convinced as Katarina. I was like, well, maybe I am convinced. Like, And I just thought, I, that's how I play it, and maybe that was a mistake. But I feel like it's more fun and more organic feeling that way for myself. You know, um, Patrick, you were saying, you know, 
Does it make you anxious to, to, to not have this stuff prepared? Uh, if there is something that makes me anxious and it would be the conversations, that's my least favorite uh, because I'm always afraid I'm not going to stick to that character's uh, real motivation that I'll, you know, just just mess that up and say something and then I can't take it back. And then, you know, the, the story gets changed and, you know, or I'll give away too much information uh, or something along those lines. So that as a DM the conversations with NPCs make me the most nervous. Um, hmm. Usually. Yeah. It's just not something. I, well, I mean, that's funny because know. it brings up a, uh, it's not an important point, but it brings up a point that you on that side of the DM screen and us on our side have the same problems. So the struggle is real to remember to play your character as your character would do th- whatever it is you're doing versus what you the player already know or think or feel or want to do. So that's, that's just funny to me that, you know, that happens on both sides of the screen. Right. Interesting. Not important. Interesting is what I was going for. (laughs) Well, playing with you guys, um, for instance, in, in Matt's campaign, I was trying to play Martin as a tough, but caring street, smart ex cop, now cleric investigator kind of guy. I'd watch that show. The classic <laughs> Seriously. Um, and, uh, but I think he was coming across instead of tough and street smart, kind of like pompous and a jerk um, at times. And so I, I had to rein him back because I felt like I got some feedback and, and I felt like you guys are like, no, he's not all that caring. He's not all that. And I was like, oh, <laughs> Okay, that didn't come off the way I wanted it to. Um, so let's change them up a little bit. Now that um, is an important point. To be able to not not just give, but accept feedback and constructive criticism. criticism. Constructive criticism. And, yeah. um, and like, uh, matter of fact, on Tuesday night for the listeners, I had confusion understanding how one of my abilities works. And in my mind, I had read the description provided by, you know, Dungeons and Dragons, and I I read it and perceived it to be one way. And amongst the other four people, there are at least two other ways that it was read and perceived. And to be able to sit and have that sort of discussion or debate or whatever you want to call it maturely and without it turning into, you know, I hate your face and and all the sort of things that could happen, you know, if you you're not being mature about it. It's very important to the the progress of the game and to the cohesiveness of the the players and, and the DM. And I think if you can sort of build a what do they call it in uh, old school a, a trust tree or whatever tree of trust uh, where you guys can have those discussions or give that feedback, it's only going to make your group stronger and the game more fun to play. I think. It's just a little little tip. Sure. Yeah, it's important to be able to discuss these things um, with some maturity, respect for others, no name calling. What are you, stupid? Yeah, yeah. Right here. You know, that kind of nonsense. Right, right. right. Um, And and the kind of behavior you see in anonymous online social interactions. The trolls, as they call them. The trolls, (laughs) yes. Yeah, the trolls uh, should just be burned with fire and acid. So they can't regenerate. So that, <laughs> but they spread. They spread. That's a D and D joke, people. If you're yeah, please. We are not actually advocating any nope. kind of violence. No acid burning or whatever it was. <laughs> not. It was a D and D joke. Yeah. Yes. Yes, it was. Um, I'm gonna have to start putting in joke alerts instead of spoiler alerts. Yes, I know. <laughs> Seriously. Do not try this in real life. Um, Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a big deal that I think that start, you know, like I I always say this, especially God, God forbid you talk politics. I can talk politics with anybody that I really feel like respects me and I respect them because then you can disagree on big things and not think to yourself, well, damn, you're just an ass. 
you know, or or that 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 their opinion is coming from some negative place. I'm simply sharing my interpretation of what I think the rules say, and you're sharing yours, and we can disagree, we can see it completely differently, and know that we're not trying to sort of one-up the other or make somebody look stupid or feel stupid. Um, I think that's, you know, that's important. Not just in the game, just in real life, just in general, people. Respect for yourself, respect for others, it's just, I can't tell you how important that is. It goes a long way. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I also think in specifically in terms of this game or our group it does help that we kind of rotate who's the players and who's the dms at different times we've taken turns because then it's not like well matt's the dm and every time he we have a rules dispute it's always in like against the players and so after a while it seems like well maybe matt just you know, is biased about this because he's always yeah, the DM. That's very right. And Patrick's always the player, so every time there's a rules dispute, he wants to let the player do whatever they want, and his like his opinion is yeah. just biased towards that. Because we kind of rotate and switch, it's like I I genuinely truly believe that each of us is trying to get to the best way to play the game. Yeah, and you know, also Matt, it, it, being able to accept your answer. Or your ruling, if you will, is so important. And I, I know we're not, you know, we're not juvenile uh, by age standards at all. We're we're <laughs> oh, okay. we're, we're a little bit old. Now our our, yeah. our behavior may be juvenile at times. I thought you said I thought you were talking maturity wise. Yeah, no. so oh like, yeah, we're oh. like seven. No, <laughs> yeah. But we um, I think you have to have, and and no matter how old you get or how sophomoric or juvenile it seems, fairness is something you're taught as a child uh, and an adolescent. And if things don't seem fair, it's easy to get frustrated or upset or angry with someone or something. You have to, the old saying, you win some, you lose some. I I mean, you have to go with that and you have to, sometimes the ruling doesn't go your way. Sometimes it does. Um, And I think the ability to, to accept that is really important in, in this game, especially because it can change with each DM. And each DM can have its own set of rules, and you just have, you know you got to remember that this game is supposed to be fun. First of all, <laughs> right? And uh, yep. arguing and fighting just sucks the fun right out of it for not just you, but everyone at the table or virtual table in our sense. Yep. Uh, I think that's just really important to to put out, and that yeah, I don't I don't think there's a more important part to this game is probably than respecting each other and and just being able to accept defeat uh, gallantly, you know. It's the way to do sure. it, sure. Because I mean, sometimes the monster's going to kill you, and if the DM says you're still dead, you gotta you gotta roll a new character, and you gotta get you gotta learn to get over it. So that's the way it, right. the way it works. Yep, I got a little preachy yes, there. Yes, absolutely. Sorry. Yeah, you did. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, but in a good you're way, right, though. But in a good uh, way. You know. So with Strahd, um, he has a lot of opportunities to teach you those lessons in his castle. Um, he can call upon swarms of bats and wolves and zombies and there's um, servants of his and uh, Vistani running around and um, he can strike and get away and and it can be very frustrating if done well. And you have to read your party to see if you you want it to be that frustrating. Some people just get so frustrated they don't want to play anymore, you know, if, if, if it's that uh, tough. I like to throw some frustrating situations in. Matt has us in a very frustrating situation currently in his campaign. Um, where you guys walked in there willingly. <laughs> yes, we did. Not just willingly, was a, excited to be there. Yeah, yeah it was yeah. a total option. I we were so. forewarned. Um, it's called the Forbidden Cove. Not yeah, the we were told not to go there. It, 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 we were told not to go there. We did win anyway. And uh, I think been... some of you want to stay. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I'm, I'm loving it. In actually, there. it's not frustrating at all for me. I'm actually enjoying it. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, the I don't know what we're going to do or how we're going to win. I think is well, the yeah. frustrating part. <laughs> and of I it. think, or, or that we even can. I think that's the cool so, part, though. Yeah. Yeah. I so, love that you guys have different, such different feelings on it <laughs> because I do feel that, like, I feel like Martin and by extension Rick would love to leave. Yes. And I feel like Dehan and uh, <laughs> by extension Chris and uh, Nestle and by extension Patrick would love to stay and see what else is down here. Yep. And 
I think that makes it for an interesting group dynamic because you wouldn't all agree about this place in particular. It's scary. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it not is. being and able this to is see the first... fifteen feet in front of your face it creates oh, this, terrible this feeling of uh, just confusion and helplessness, and, and you know everyone's just unsure. And I'm really enjoying playing in that. It's so, yeah. so it, it is. Well, a lot of well, you get separated in a battle. You can't see anything. You don't know where everybody is. Sight based attacks uh, or disadvantage you know some spells just won't work because you can't see the target even though it's 20 feet away from you you know there's a lot of restrictions and frustration from that standpoint tactically okay maybe challenges is a better word than frustration because i'm enjoying it for sure yeah it's it's really putting my mind to work okay what am i going to do next how am i going to you know where am i going to go what spell could i use at this point what you know should i just run for the exit and hope everyone else gets out is it time for word of recall? <laughs> Will it even work here? You know, there's a lot of restrictions on those things in this world too. So uh, anyway, it has my mind going. But back to Curse of Strahd, which is what we're supposed to be talking about today. Indeed. Strahd has a lot of those things that he can do. Um, mess with you, change, you know, bring fog up, uh, put creatures there that weren't there a minute, you know, a second ago. Yeah, um, that stuff has me sorts of has things. me thinking that this would be extremely cool to do on roll twenty. This adventure, yes, all yeah. of those little things you can add, and the ambiance music, and the the fog, and all that stuff. I I didn't get the opportunity to play it on roll twenty, but it just seems like it is ripe with uh, opportunities to make it cool. You know, yep. yes, for sure. Yeah. I actually think on Roll20, I looked one time that someone has the, you can buy like the map pack for Ravenloft and like, it's got all the rooms and secret things and all the stuff. So you can really feel like you're in it in, and it's dynamically lit the way it's supposed to be. Yes. I actually bought that years ago before we were even doing online, just so I could, I was going to do it in in person and and uh put it up on the tv in the room and and but i couldn't figure out how to get it all working at that time (laughs) it was all new so i didn't have time to set up so i actually own all that stuff that's awesome um but never used it (laughs) so it would it would be nice yeah i was just learning roll 20 and all that at the time but uh yeah this would be a perfect setup yeah the, uh, the creepy music and the creepy laughter yeah all and, that stuff it just seems like this would <laughs> this environment would be perfect for that yep i really that's one thing i really like about the virtual tabletop i've been looking into scripting i've been going you know i'm i'm looking to get the most out of it and i think the perfect for just the reasons you said this adventure can really benefit from those effects you know like um that creepy laughter really is cool i'm not sick of it you know like sometimes people it's like a gimmick you know and you hear it maybe the first time you're like oh that's kind of cool and then after a few times you're like all right that's enough i still am getting creeped out by that laugh um and when we're in there like i you know you said that your vision it's not awesome um <laughs> i don't like it <laughs> i mean i like it you know but right. like as as a player in there i'm like oh shit, i don't know if i want to move there or there and then every time you move you're like oh there's a token oh my god it's a bad guy you know and mm-hmm. and i think this would be great for that um you know because you get that mood going and that honestly for me I think that's a really big, big part of this adventure to get the most out of it. But I, I've probably said that like three times now, but I can't help myself. Yeah, but you're not wrong. You're yeah, right yes. all three I, times. True. <laughs> <laughs> this thing that you guys are doing in my campaign is 100% inspired by Slash because we're going over Curse of Strahd. And so many of these things were like, oh, this is a great idea. Oh, that's a great idea. Oh, well, like. Yeah. And not that I'm. We're, play, we're not playing Curse of Strahd, but. Using the all the things we talked about in terms of mood and ambiance and making it like leaning into the feel is what I've been trying to do for them in our personal game, mm-hmm. and it sounds like it's, it's working. So, that you're oh, scared it's so and- it is working. Yeah, <laughs> yes, for sure. It makes such sure. a difference. It really does. I mean, I think if we would have had some of this stuff back on the Drowned Prince, it could have made it 
you know, those those moments could go either way. It could have made it super spooky. You know, yeah, well, that, we yeah. did that maze with this fog, like yeah, but I'm, where you couldn't see, and that was terrifying. I remember literally that that, that was probably the most spooky part of that whole adventure. Matter of fact, we lost Valus. We got separated. Yeah, yeah. Yes. and it caused a huge yep. kerfuffle, and an important NPC got killed because of it. Yeah, yeah, that it makes such a difference. Right. Yeah, yeah. No, and I was still learning how to how to to use all that and I, I still need some uh, pointers but it also the whole drowned prince was an experiment and super high level stuff and yeah um, i'm still not sure how i feel about it for rick but, uh, and for the list it's really hard <laughs> there is uh well there are a lot of youtube videos that are tutorials for roll 20 stuff uh, i'm just i'm looking at them myself that's why i'm you know it's fresh hmm. in my mind you can get a lot of good like tips and tricks uh, and they walk you through it, you know, like a video walkthrough. So just for all you guys out there, you want to get that yeah, roll 20 worth yeah. looking into. Sure. Yeah. For instance, I haven't figured out how to put the music on there. I'm sure it's not that hard or the oh, turn order, things like that, that yeah. um, I'm sure I could figure all that out. stuff seemed. So I'm just now getting really delving into roll 20 just recently. Mm-hmm. As in, I started this week and you got to dive into scripts, dude, the ability to have a trap set up that will check your character's passive perception awesome. to see if you can see it and then will shoot a message if that character sees it or triggers it and you what? can set an effect. Oh, oh wow. God, I got to show so you cool, man. a sound effect with an animation. So the trap will go off. It'll give you a message of what the trap does or what you see. Transitions. I, I got... To- scripts where I can have a token transform into another token with an effect. Oh my god, dude, it's awesome. So that's that- my question on that. Yeah. Does that work if I click my character and drag them across the room and drop them over there? Does it trigger the trap if they moved across the space, or do they have to like move space by space? They do have to move space by space, which is why I always set my thing to update when uh, token drops. Because I don't, I don't like people like moving all over. So I tell people move space by space. Don't gotcha. drag and drop. Yeah, yeah. And it's it. it so just a quick awesome. question: How does it yeah. know what the passive perception is? Okay, so what is that gonna, on a sheet or? Yeah. So normally, you know how if we were playing, we would have to put our characters into roll twenty on a sheet. Right, right. We'd have to plug. So there is an amazing script called Be- um, Beyond Importer. So it, I, I, I won't give you all the details, but it basically transposes your D and D Beyond character sheet onto one of those sheets, saving you probably an hour or more of time plugging that stuff in. Oh wow! Yeah, that's it good brings to know. it over. Yeah, and I can, you know, I could show you guys how to do it. But so then you have in the journal, you have a character, and you attach that character to the token, and when you move that token, if it hits the area of a trap or whether like for secret doors oh i love it for secret doors so you can set it so that a character will notice passively check this for secret doors so you don't have to like go you know you don't you don't have to ask people for their passive perceptions you don't i mean you know you could memorize them or write them down but in any case and then it'll give you a message that says blah 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 has noticed a seam in the wall and then they go over and investigate. And then you could actually have them do their roles because you don't want to take that all away from them. And it's awesome. You can then, it'll reveal it. It'll send it from the GM layer to the map layer. And That's then you awesome. have this door that they can interact with. Yeah, I mean. Does that update? There's when so the, much. Let's say a character is level 10. When they go to level mm-hmm. 11, does that automatically update? Or do you have to re-import? You got, yeah, you got to re-import okay. them. Which is really just click. All you're doing is clicking and paste. Sure. I, I just yeah. I was just wondering so if it's it not, kept it's up not with bad. it. Or, or. Yeah. But these things, you guys, like this is the stuff I've really been diving into. There's so much to this. There is Some of these people are so good at coding. And the guy you want to watch if you want to do this is Nick Olivio. He is 
a godsend. Um, I, I swear, I just want to give him a cuddle. This guy walks you through these scripts, tells you why you're writing them this way. He's clear, concise, and pleasant. And man, he is a gift to Roll20. He's really true. And then there's um, this guy, um, Aaron, and all. there's just so many of these people who are scripters. That's awesome. You know, it's like... It's like they're talking, you know, Greek to me. I have no idea what it means. And you know, as you know? a as a player, I wouldn't mind doing any of these extra clicks or all of these extra clicks to yeah. make Matt's uh, presentation easier for him. Either it's not like you're yeah. asking me to, you know, work four hours a day on something. Yeah, sure. And there's some uh, the cool one of the scripts I use a lot. It's just called a, a fatality. So what it'll do is it'll use. The the effects in roll twenty. I don't know if you guys know, but on the DM side, there's a little lightning bolt symbol mm -hmm. uh, at the top left, and it's got all different effects. So those are scripted into this. So what you can do is set it up so that you can create a macro. Okay, this is a button push that's linked to a script, and it'll run this script on you the token you're selected, and it'll X them out, you know, with the token marker, and do an explosion of blood. Um, you know, it's a little spray. And that's Finish how you kill minions. <laughs> yeah. Then there's one where you can set the effects so that it's a poof of smoke and they send the token to the DM layer. And I use that a lot because my world is beset by fiends. But when you kill these fiends, they pop out of existence. The When I started using these, I just got so many oohs and ahs and people just loved it. And then traps with sound effects and visuals and doors and... There's so much, dude. There's so much. Super cool. So is there a level of, of membership that you have to have to, to Pro. get these? Pro. Pro. Yeah. Yep. It's okay. the it's called the API. Uh, and to unlock the API, which means you can script like an and load them into your games. And there's a library of these scripts. Set up windows. So it's dynamic lighting so that it stops your movement, but you can see through it. That you is, can, oh, I've wanted I like that so that. bad. Oh, dude. you guys walk through every window that I've ever, so I stopped putting them in. <laughs> yeah, it is so yeah. easy to set up. It's a such a simple script, so easy. Um, and yeah, it, it's wonderful. And again, these are all like little pieces of, of frosting on the cake. And I think uh, it's, it's. I'm so excited. I'm, that's what I was working on this morning. I was working on it last night until like two in the morning. Wow. Well, that's, um, that's I'm a awesome. Madman. Yeah, and there's so much in Castle Ravenloft yeah. where this would come into uh, oh, could come time. into play and, and be yep. wonderful for that experience. I agree. Yeah, absolutely. Especially if they have a package deal like you mentioned, Rick, that you purchased uh, earlier, right? Uh, and you can right. you can just add effects to that package that you already. And have. it may have been updated since I bought it. I mean, it's I might have bought it back in. 2017 or something. I don't know. Yeah, that's when everything when was, was sort of really new getting into the VTTs and stuff. Yeah. But I, I just think that would be really cool if you could add all these things. And as much as I am a proponent of playing in person, this digital stuff just adds so many possibilities and opportunities that you just cannot yeah. get on a table. No, you know, no, that's really cool. I'm not going back. I'm not going back. <laughs> if they're around, back. It, yeah. When I play, um, we've got a bunch of old Chromebooks and laptops, and we just sign people in, and and we use D and D Beyond and Roll Twenty. Yep. And we turn off all the microphones and cameras, and we sit there around a table with our laptops. Yeah. And snacks. Um, and sometimes if people want to roll the dice rather than hit it, but I, I found more and more people are getting away from the dice, which is kind of sad because I missed that part, but I do um, too, but having to figure out which dice to use or, you know, for your damage and all that other stuff, it's really nice. You just click on it. You can play with the dice in your hand, I guess, or, you know, if you want to fiddle with something. Yeah, have have you guys heard that where they they're gonna? I mean, I told you, I don't know if you guys read the news, but they appointed three new big ups in in Wizards of the Coast, and right. now they're talking about breaking off um, and becoming their own thing. So the the latest chatter is they're going to create a D and D metaverse where, much like the old MMOs, World of Warcraft, you had a character that was logged in and your experience and all your things are tracked. That's what they're going. I'm hearing this is what their their next goal is a D, D metaverse that is like a digital adventurers league 
where you will be able to play sort of monitored play with approved dms or or even some in some cases like certain things are automated and you will have a character an avatar that is your D character where you can go to different realms and worlds and and group up with people they're trying to basically put D online in a, in a vibrant dynamic world and i could not be more excited I'm so excited for that. I think it'll that be cool. amazing. I couldn't tell. Yeah. It seemed like you weren't excited at all, Rick. No, I know. I know. <laughs> I'm like, I'm, I'm, dude, you got like the things that I in, in, envisioned as a kid are like coming yeah. true. I mean, that's wild. Like, look what I'm doing. Are you kidding me? Like, I, I still every day I wake up and I'm like, wow, I got to run a game for some kids as a job. Yeah. What? I'm like, what? That's crazy. Yeah. I love it. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I wonder and I, if yeah. sort of a World of Warcraft type environment would take away from some of the uh, interpersonal relationships, though, you know? Yeah, it really no. It depends how they implement it. Sure. If Agree 100%. It needs to be, well, I don't know. I've never done Adventures League, but I've always been interested by the idea of like, adventures league and i get to take my character and Mm -hmm. like it can level up and i can bring it to any you know group and still play with them and like that's exciting to me and i if it's like that where it's like you're just moving your character maybe from group to group so that you can keep playing even if there's scheduling conflicts like that sounds amazing yeah yeah if it turns into just like it's just a video game or it's it's too yeah that's, you're, that's you're, what I'm every, you do of. everything by yourself then yeah it's yeah like, i would eh, so maybe it's not when the, I, but we'll wait and when see. i think of it from I'm, what i'm hearing yeah go i'm just sorry, I'm, sorry i'm thinking like if you took us and weston and luke uh, our our core group and we just said okay on tuesday nights from 5 30 to 10 we're going to log on and play in this adventure that might be really cool because we all know each other and we could be talking to each other via the you know microphones and stuff but if yep. I, I think if you're one of those guys who, like I was, you're struggling to find a group to play D&D and you don't know anybody and that sort of thing in your local area and you just log mm-hmm. on, I, I just think it's going to be so much uh, less fun than, than playing with people you already know. You know, I think it would be a struggle in the beginning for me. I would be like, eh, I don't know this guy. I mean, you could be playing with some, you know, 12-year-old kid from Mumbai. You know, I mean, yeah, uh, which yeah, is yeah. cool in a way. But in, an, in right. another I was way, just I think say, it's, yeah. it, it's it would take away from from the um, the interpersonal relationships, you know, the camaraderie. I, yeah, the camaraderie. Yeah, it would be a different group. experience for yeah. sure. But what I will say is, on the flip side of that, is <laughs> as someone who moves, <laughs> I feel like I've moved four times in the last three years. Uh, it's nice the idea of being able to jump into games. Because I don't yep. know anyone, and I keep moving, and it would be like your adventures. My, my friends, yeah. yeah, exactly. Like my friends are in the last city that I was living in, and you know, so it in that respect, it that seems like a positive. Sure, to me. I mean, and that, I think that is really cool. And you know, I somebody who's been in the military, I have friends that live all over the world, and right. it's yeah. so hard. You would never be able to get us to sit down in a table anywhere all at the same time, you know. And that would be really cool to. If you had friends from a past address or a past city that you you lived in and and you could still get together with them, you know, if you could get the time set and all that stuff. I think that is really cool. I just, uh, one of the most important parts of this game for me is the uh, interpersonal relationships with you guys, not even outside of the game even or whatever. It just, uh, it brings another level that I'm afraid a lot of people may not get. If they jump straight from, I'm new to D&D, to D&D's version of World of Warcraft. You yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, you know, so the other thing is, because um, I, I believe they're going for two sort of avenues with this. One is a sort of computer-based online interface. The other is Pokemon Go. It's going to be D&D Pokemon Go, where you're not capturing your Pokemon, you're adventuring and you are going to do this with your phone as the interface. You'll have your character and all that. 
And you will essentially go on group adventures, Um, not long, long, long ones, but much like it is now, like with Pokemon, you have a boss battle, you take on the boss. Well, that's what I'm hearing. One of the things that's in the pipeline right now, figuring out a way to do that. You're basically able to do one shots on your phone while you're waiting for a meeting to start or something. Or something, but but this, you know, I think it's no coincidence that this new CEO they hired is like a mobile gaming giant. That's what they did, um, and uh, I think they were even from uh, what do you, what is that that mobile gaming company that's really big? Uh, I can't remember. Kabam, Kabam, and. I think that's where it's going because look, everybody's got a phone now. I mean, everybody's got a phone and Pokemon Go is huge. And now D and D is huge. And um, I think, you know, especially with how, when the pandemic landed, people went, Whoa, this is like, now everybody's playing. I mean, roll 20 exploded. And then look what happened. Virtual tabletops started popping out of the woodwork. There were like six. And now we've only got like a core four, I think. But I I think that's the future. And of course, there'll always be the in-person games and all that. But our world is getting weird. And um, I I think, you know, this is is where they think the future of D&D is going. And, you know, I'm well, as long as they keep you. publishing books too, I'm cool with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, there's still people that play the cards for Pokemon and yep. you know, and all that and watch the TV shows and play the little games and yep. you know, I I I can completely see that as a fun little add-on for me. Uh other people that might be their only D&D experience that they ever get to experience. And yeah. um it it sounds sounds a lot of fun. I mean, there there's a lot of there's like uh Neverwinter online and D and yeah. based games and Baldur's Gate, which I thought was gonna come out by now, Baldur's Gate three. Oh my but god, I, it's I still in it's like been, it's still in <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Development. Um yeah. Anyway, there's yeah, I dreamed about this as a kid that, you know, oh what if we could use a computer for this and, you know, <laughs> somehow. Right. <laughs> but uh seeing it come to to life in my lifetime is been it's exciting. crazy. Yeah. Uh, I would like to get us back on track, though. Yeah, yeah. we're um, trying so hard to keep us off track. Right? <laughs> we're way off <laughs> and, yeah. multiple times. So after you confront Strahd and you've dealt with him, he toys with you, but then he wants to kill you. You know, he he'll mess with you, mess with you, mess with you, but finally he's going to lose his patience, and he will come after the players. And that is um, that's the final confrontation. And whether or not, and I'm not going to give any advice on on how the players can beat him and all that. Um, that's the fun part of figuring that all out. But whether or not he dies or, or wipes out the party, the demi plane of dread that they're in, the Barovia, is going to reset months later. And um, so that's all written in the epilogue. But uh, Strahd doesn't get out by killing you or... Because he thinks he can replace himself and put someone else here. That's one of his motivations, is trying to find that hero that's worthy of taking his place so he can leave. And But he doesn't get to. This is This is a purgatory. It goes on and on and on. And so Strahd, if you, if you beat him... Strahd can um, be a behind-the-scenes villain, sending people after your after the characters afterwards, months later, when he when Barovia resets and he's back in his cursed world. And so that that's kind of a fun thing to to have with the players after they win, especially if they took those dark gifts to have agents of Strahd, the Vistani that can come after you, or um, all of the uh, the vampire spawn. When Strahd is destroyed, the vampire spawn are released from his control, as of our, all the other monsters. And the mists go away, and uh, those monsters can then get out, and the people can get out. And so there can be a, an interesting ongoing issue, which might bring the characters back, trying to get back to take care of Strahd once and for all, which as written is kind of fruitless because no matter what you do, the powers that be in these, in this plane of dread uh, will reset <laughs> Strahd 
again and again and again. So I was I was thinking that could be a fun ongoing thing in a in a long campaign. Yeah, if you sort of made this a side quest type event in an mm-hmm. in a campaign you were running like a homebrew campaign or something, then yeah, that could really come into play later on if you were in need of some combat, you know? Yeah. Or you could also um have it that the heroes come in the party goes in, wanders around a little bit, and somehow are allowed to leave with the Vistani uh, without dealing with it all, and then come back some other time at a different level or, or a different point in their campaign. Like This could be a place where they could come and go, maybe not at their own control, maybe you know at, at, at the whim of the DM, or maybe because they want to. They have a way of... Because of, the Vistani can leave and come back. And so maybe you can hide in one of their <laughs> their, their uh, carriages or some such thing, you know, or get some item that allows you to come in and out of the mists as a way of returning, you know, or, or I could I could see a party that might want to deal with this and then leave and go handle something else they were dealing with in their main campaign uh, and then come back uh, I mean- once Strahd harasses them. So there's some options there that you can add it to an ongoing campaign. Yeah, I think futility is one of what we say classic a lot in this review, but it is a classic part of horror. The idea that after all of it, at the end, it all just resets. It didn't really like change anything. I think that kind of leaves that lingering sense. Like to me, that's that's terrifying. That's horrifying. That's that's awful. One of my the movies existential that stick, dread. Right well, there. yeah, like one of the movies that stuck with me the most, even as an adult, is I think it's called When a Stranger Calls. It's about a girl who like is babysitting and someone keeps calling her. It's coming from and, inside the house. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. But like, spoiler alert! If you don't, if you haven't seen this fifteen-year-old movie yet, uh, at the end of it, she goes insane because every night she. Every time she closes her eyes, she dreams of being back in the house and getting another phone call and like, and she can't sleep and she can't like, it lingers. It doesn't matter that she ended up, I don't remember if they killed him or caught him or what they did. Like they stopped the killer. She survived the ordeal. You think, oh, well it's over and she's fine. But then no, she's not fine. And it's never over for her. And that's terrifying. And the idea that. I mean, yeah, you could definitely come back to this. Personally, as a DM, I would just read that epilogue or like have like a like a cut scene kind of describe some other group of adventurers getting sucked into the same story all over again and Strahd's up on the hill watching them and because every, you know, it never ends and you can't end it because that would that would stick with me as like <laughs> the scary thing about this is Oh my god, I I'm so lucky I got out. If you got out, like, because there's no end of it. I'm getting scared right now just thinking. About it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I think that is a huge part of it, and I do remember that movie. But I, the one I saw was from the '70s, so it's like a 40 year old movie. Sure, they, I think they just redid it 15 years ago or whatever. Oh, I'm sure they did. Um, but I, I saw that when I was a kid, probably in the early '80s, I think. And uh, that spooked me for years. And it wasn't it wasn't even anything crazy, you know, like this is before. Right. Yeah, this is before all the <laughs> let's see how over the top we can get with horror movies. This was just like it, the calls coming from inside the house, you know, like that was. Uh, yeah, that spooked me for years, probably. But I mean, I was a kid. But yeah, you could do something like that with this where it just exaggerates the sense of futility to the party. You know, and I think that would leave them with that lingering sense of, oh, this is total bullshit. <laughs> or something, you know? <clears throat> yeah. yeah, I think that would be awesome. I mean, that's part of what makes Lovecraftian horror so terrifying, is that there's no fighting it. You don't get to fight Cthulhu. You don't get to resist all these other things, like these things. They just happen to you. And you can run, and you can try to get away. and But, like, it's it's the the inevitability the futility of of trying is what is part of what makes it so scary yeah i mean i think what makes great horror is it's all imagination it's not even this shock stuff that they put out today you know it's the mm-hmm. if if you can instill it in their mind that you, you have no control 
over, you know, whatever the situation is. It makes it 10 times scarier than this guy's going to come at you with a knife and you can fight him, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's spooking me a little bit, actually, right now. (laughs) 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 I'm thinking about all the Lovecraft stuff. Uh, Well, uh, I think we're getting towards the end of our hour, so how about we do final thoughts on Curse of Strahd? Uh, You want to start, Matt? Sure. So, my final thoughts are very similar to uh, something we've talked about over and over, which is, the important thing about this, and the, I think the way to make it really successful for you and your group, is to lean into the feel of it all. It's not enough to just make put a map and say, here's some vampire spawn, or here's some werewolves. You've got to kind of get into your inner theater kid and build up some suspense. I'm not saying you need to do a full-blown production and be a, like a professional actor by any means, but... Try to do what you can to give it that creepy, scary, what's about to happen kind of anxiety. And I think it's going to really pay off in spades for you when it's all said and done. Because it, that's that's what makes this different from everything else that you do. Like, we just talked last couple weeks before this about Descent into Avernus. There's an element of, like, that's not fun and, you know, maybe you're a little bit scared, but... It's definitely not the same as this, where even though you're fighting hard things, this feels so much scarier. But you have to, you as the DM have to kind of lean into that and create that atmosphere. That's my, but I love, I love the reading through it. I loved when I got to play it. Uh, I think Chris's Strahd's a blast. Yeah, Matt, it's one of my favorites um, of of all the published ones, uh, just because of how different it is and how well written it is both in storyline and, and balance and of the encounters and uh, uh, with a few noted exceptions, like The Dark Gifts was not my favorite. But, and of course, Secret Doors. I hate Secret Doors. but That's the shirt we have to make for you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Secret Doors is no Blinsky. <laughs> no Blinsky. Absolutely. But um, there's so much in it. So much is... For the characters, the NPCs are rich and vibrant, and there's so many of them. Uh, so much going on, so much fun to be had in this module. Yeah, um, yeah, adventure. And uh, uh, and besides the having that uh, horror, I would recommend adding some humor to it. For sure. Because just having a little bit of humor makes the, the horror more powerful, more effective. And it gives you a little relief and resets to go back in and get back into that mindset. So um, it's okay to goof around a little bit, make jokes in the middle of it. And uh, I think you'll find that most people, when dealing with horror themes, will naturally throw some humor in there. And it's okay to do that for sure. Matter of fact, you should do it. Um, and allow your players to do that. It's not breaking the scene. It's actually giving them a little bit of relief from the fear and anxiety that can develop in this in this genre. Yeah, good yeah. point. What about you, Chris? Yeah, I, I um, <clears throat> for me, this is one of those adventures where, in in hindsight, now I would have prepared a lot more. I would have really, again, gotten into like, I mean. Strahd is so complex and interesting and compelling. I really would, if I was to do this now, I'd rehearse. I'd grab a mirror and I'd sit in front of it and I'd start being Strahd. And I'd really try to get a few lines down. Um, I like this. Like certain sayings or a way they go about a thing. Like you really sort of create an identity. And there's a lot of material on Strahd. There's even the book I Strahd which is like his life. It's pretty amazing. Um, and then the, the overall sort of, again, we've all sort of said it, just get really getting into this and in reading up, doing your homework. I think that's important because if you do your homework on this one, you'll be better prepared. I think you'll, you'll really get into the story, but it, especially for newer DMs, it tends to relieve some of the anxiety. You know, I, I think, 
the the newer dms really look at this and they're like whoa like this is a lot and even experienced dms are sometimes like oh man this is pretty meaty but i think that the antidote to anxiety often is action and um doing your homework is great action to battle that you know you you get build the confidence and and then what rick said and i wanted to mention i don't know if this guy is in the fifth edition version but he was one of my favorite npcs and i i hope you know, I don't, well, here's a spoiler alert. The group meets this dwarf, and he's a wear badger. Is he not in fifth edition? He's not. I would remember. Oh a my god, dude! How? Firstly, I thought, how perfect is that? They're not in the DM's guide, um, or rather, the monster manual, but a dwarven wear badger, like perfect, or Wolverine would be even, you know, a surly little tough, like, you know, hard yeah. to kill. So this guy I used for the comic relief and he was so much fun. Um, cause like he's a wear creature, but he's sort of a goofy wear creature. He wasn't like a vicious savage, nor was he like shady, like a wear rat or whatever. He's a wear badger. He was sort of like a goofball. Um, at the same time, he could tear your face off. So it was, that's what I used. So, um, man, I guess I'll have to look him up again, but, um, I thought he was interesting and, and he's in the soft book, I believe the book. Well, I can't remember what it is called. Um, but it's, you know, again, I just think that kind of stuff's awesome. Cool. Look him up again. Makes it sound like you're going to go dig out his phone number. Right. Like, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We're buddies. While I'm sitting over here Googling wear badger. <laughs> yeah, no, I he, I can't remember his name, but he's he's in the book. How many can and, be? Um, yeah, he's a cool character. Anyway, awesome. Yeah, that's it for me. Well, I think that's all the time we have for this week. So thank you guys. Appreciate your time and your insights, and we'll do it again next week. Sounds, Sounds good. good. All right, guys. Wonderful. Thanks for listening to the Guild that keeps on giving. Please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, or whatever your favorite podcast service. Also, don't forget to like and share our Facebook page, The Guild That Keeps On Giving on Facebook, our Instagram at TGTKOG, and our Twitter at T underscore G underscore T underscore K underscore O underscore G. For all of us here at The Guild That Keeps On Giving, thanks for listening and have a great week.